There was an ancient period of time when fallen man united with demonic forces in rebellion against God in such an unprecedented and bizarre way that it led to the destruction of the entire world except for one man. This was a world where people lived under the satanic dominion of demons, and fallen man actually began a strange transformation into something that was less than human. Genesis chapter 6 verse 5 tells us that it was during this time that God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Jesus refers to this very unusual, highly sinister period of time as the days of Noah, and he tells us in Matthew chapter 24 verse 37 that in the last days, just before he returns, the demonic insanity that we now see spreading through the world around us will become identical to the satanic wickedness of those last days in that ancient world, a place that became so evil the Lord eventually had to destroy it to preserve the human race. Jesus points us to the days of Noah as a guidepost of prophetic information on the times that we are living in right now, because the days Noah lived in contain a treasure chest of spiritual insights that are more relevant to our lives than ever before. So let's take a closer look at the life of this man that Genesis chapter 6 verses 8 and 9 describe as a person who found grace in the eyes of the Lord, a just man and perfect or righteous in his generations, a man who walked with God. To study the life of Noah, the scriptures here remind us that we must first change our ideas about limiting the time frame that is typically associated with him. This is important because many people tend to automatically identify the life of Noah with the great flood that God used to reset the world the first time. And that's all. That's where they stop. They don't connect the days of Noah to anything else beyond the flood. But notice here how the scriptures emphasize how Noah was righteous and upright throughout all of the generations that he lived through. Every generation he was part of, from beginning to end. The Holy Spirit repeats that term generations here to expand our view of the days of Noah to include all of the days of his entire life, which contains some truly amazing things that happened before and after the flood. In fact, by tracing through the genealogies listed in Genesis chapter 5, 10, and 11, and overlaying all the days of Noah's life across the biblical timeline of history, from his birth in Genesis chapter 5, verse 28, to his death in Genesis chapter 11, verse 19, we quickly discover that, along with the flood, Noah also experienced some of the most extraordinary and disruptive events to ever take place in human history, including the rise of the predecessor of the coming Antichrist. And all of these incredible phenomena apply directly to our lives today in one way or another. For example, were you aware that Noah lived during the days of the first genetically modified transhumans? That's right. Noah grew up in a bizarre world of genetic engineering that created a deviant species of enormously large beings known as the giants. These hybrid monsters were birthed from the satanic insertion of demon genes into the DNA of human women. The contaminated genetics of their corrupted DNA 
not only made these transhuman creatures highly intelligent, but also intensely violent, destructive, and evil. The evils of this genetic engineering didn't stop with the flood, because after the flood, Noah witnessed the political rise of a genetically altered transhuman who became the first elite globalist and the first world ruler to publicly oppose God. His name was Nimrod, and he was a satanic precursor to the coming Antichrist. His ungodly government constructed the first skyscraper ever conceived, a marvel of advanced technology called the Tower of Babel. And its evil nature symbolized the coming state of artificial intelligence that we now see developing today. Think about it. During the days of Noah, the revolutionary technology used to build the Tower of Babel captivated and eventually consumed everyone, brick by brick, with scientific knowledge that mutated into a monolithic superstate of highly advanced thinking and decision-making that was used for absolute control. Today, artificial intelligence is captivating and will eventually consume everyone, screen by screen, with scientific knowledge that is quickly mutating into a monolithic superstate of highly advanced thinking and decision-making that is used for absolute control. The Tower of Babel was constructed for supremacy and domination over mankind. So is artificial intelligence. The builders of the Tower of Babel wanted to make a name for themselves and steer the human race away from God. So did the builders of artificial intelligence. The sinister purpose of the Tower of Babel from the days of Noah has been resurrected in the artificial intelligence that we are seeing today. And how about this? Noah personally experienced the mind-blowing confusion of the human language, a shadow of the politically correct confusion and Orwellian doublespeak that we're now experiencing in our upside-down world of language. And Noah was there when the human race was scattered across the planet. Think about that. Noah literally had feet on the ground when God physically separated the landmass of the earth into seven continents. That's not all. Along with the flood, the Tower of Babel, and the scattering of the human race are countless facts of interest that are rarely discussed, even though many of them reveal great insights into who Noah was personally and others describe in detail what the culture around him was really like. For example, it took Noah 120 years to build the first megaship, an enormous ark with the capacity to carry the entire population of a small town. The ark was the first boat ever conceived in the scriptures. Its blueprint was given to Noah by God himself. And with over 101,000 square feet of floor space, it remains the largest wooden sailing vessel ever constructed, as well as the largest ship of any kind ever built anywhere until sometime around the 1400s. And get this, Noah's father, Lamech, actually knew Adam the first human being God ever created. Lamech was born 56 years before Adam died, which means Adam himself could share his own personal stories and firsthand experience with Lamech about what a perfect world was like, what life without sin was like before the fall. We're talking about firsthand stories of a world that no other human being has ever experienced.
Not only that, Lamech personally knew Enoch, the first person ever raptured into heaven with God. Lamech was 113 years old when the first rapture took place, so he may have been somewhere close by when his grandfather Enoch suddenly vanished into thin air, disappearing completely right before everyone's eyes. This means Lamech personally experienced some unbelievable events during his own life that he passed down and shared through stories to his son Noah. This rich and unique heritage is one of the reasons why Noah remained a just man of integrity his whole life, a man who was righteous in his generations, a man who never stopped walking with God. This rich heritage is why Jesus wants us to study all of the days of Noah, before and after the flood. His entire life is an exciting tale to be told, filled with unique spiritual wisdom that we need to navigate these last days we're now living in. There's so much to go through when you return to the days of Noah that we'll separate this into a series of studies in three sections. Here in part one, our journey will begin with a deep dive into the generations of Noah to establish the historical and spiritual background that molded and shaped who Noah was. Then, in part two, we'll explore the rise of witchcraft in the ancient mysteries and its demonic impact on the very strange things that were taking place during the days of Noah leading up to the flood. Finally, in part three, we'll examine how a revival of witchcraft took place in the first generation after the flood, which led to even stranger things that happened during those days of Noah, including the rise of Nimrod, the Tower of Babel, and the cataclysmic dividing of the earth to scatter the human race. Man, there's so much to cover here that we may be raptured home before we finish which is appropriate considering the days that we live in now. Amen? Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Okay, let's get started. We'll return to the days of Noah by overlaying the biblical timeline of his life across all of the generations that he lived in. We can start by using the genealogy listed in Genesis chapter 5 to examine the generations that were related to Noah before the flood and show how they connect to the generations related to Noah after the flood in the genealogies that are listed in Genesis chapters 10 and 11. From the genealogy of Genesis chapter 5, we learn that Noah was a descendant of Seth, who is identified in Genesis chapter 4 verse 25 as the third son of Adam and Eve, the replacement for his righteous older brother Abel, who was murdered by his oldest brother Cain in Genesis chapter 4, verse 8. After killing Abel, Cain went out from the presence of God in Genesis chapter 4, verse 16, dwelling in exile in the land of Nod, on the east of Eden. It was there that Cain started his own family and built the first city, which he named after his first son, Enoch. This began the ungodly line of Cain that is listed in Genesis chapter 4, verses 17 through 22. They are the distant cousins of Noah who represent a legacy of the fallen man that turns away and departs from God. Over time, starting with the murder of Abel in Genesis chapter 4, this ungodly line of Cain became the source of deep immorality, unbridled wickedness, and pure evil 
that eventually consumed the entire human race by the days of the flood in Genesis chapter 6. This is the world that Noah was born into. He grew up watching these evil distant cousins seduce, intermarry with, and morally corrupt his closer relatives, the children of the godly men in the line of Seth that are listed in Genesis chapter 5. This widespread moral corruption eventually sank the entire human race into degeneracy and demonic lawlessness that consumed the entire planet with violence and pure evil. This ungodly line of Seth explains the evil culture that Noah was exposed to and the wickedness that he witnessed during his days growing up from a child into an adult man. However, Noah was raised in the righteous line of Seth. He was deeply influenced and protected by the godly men in his life. They shaped and molded his character with the righteous heritage they passed down to him from previous generations. The impact of this righteous heritage cannot be understated when you take a closer look at the genealogy of his immediate relatives in Genesis chapter 5. Let's examine who these godly men were that took each new generation to greater levels of moral integrity and spiritual strength. The genealogy of these men in Genesis chapter 5 is very instructive because it reveals two immediate and distinct sets of insight. One is historical, the other is spiritual. Let's first examine the rich historical insights that the scriptures reveal to us here. If we arrange this genealogy as a sequence of events, and we assume that no generations have been skipped over, we're able to chart out a timeline of 1,656 years of history, from the beginning of Adam until the great flood that happens in Noah's time. Here's how it works. Genesis chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, explain how the line of Seth starts with the creation of Adam in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 28. And they lay out the timeline of his life up to the time he died at 930 years old in Genesis chapter 5, verse 5. This means the godly influence that built the righteous legacy of Noah's spiritual heritage has its roots in the lives of Adam and Eve, immediately following the first five days of creation in Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 through 23. We'll explore the beginnings of this spiritual influence a bit more in just a moment. So the days of Noah leading up to the flood include the first ten generations in the line of Seth from Adam to Noah. Continuing down the line in Genesis chapter 5, verse 3 tells us that Adam was 130 years old when Seth was born. Now, we don't know the exact year of the creation at this point, nor the date when Adam and Eve fell into sin. But Adam's advanced age tells us that the fall of man occurred several years, or maybe even seven de several decades, before Seth was born, because Cain and Abel were both born after the fall, but before the birth of Seth. Also, we know from Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, that Cain and Abel were both adults when Cain killed Abel and Abel was already dead when Seth came into the world. Continuing down the line, we see that Seth lived to be 912 years old 
when he died in verse 8. After he was born, Genesis chapter 5, verses 4 and 5, say that Adam lived another 800 years before he died at 930 years old. By tracking down through the generations to Genesis chapter 5, verse 25, we discover that Adam lived up to the time that Lamech, the father of Noah, was 56 years old. This means Adam was 874 years old when Lamech was born. This also means Lamech had a personal relationship of some sort with the first human being ever created. That is so cool. Another interesting detail we're given in Genesis chapter 5 verse 4 is that Adam had other sons and daughters after Seth, but their names aren't given. In fact, this same pattern of unnamed sons and daughters is repeated in verses 7, 10, 13, 16, 19, 22, 26, and 30. Unnamed sons and daughters born throughout every generation of this godly line. Along with the unnamed children born into the generations of the ungodly line of Cain, all of these other sons and daughters were born to the righteous men of Genesis chapter 5 to populate the earth throughout the years leading up to the flood. Now we know that the flood wiped out the entire human race, except for Noah and his family. That means all of these unnamed sons and daughters born into the godly line of Seth were eventually corrupted into sinful lifestyles by those of the unnamed ungodly line of Cain. All of those unnamed children who were raised in godly homes eventually surrendered to the evil culture around them and they embraced perversion and apostasy no different than the apostate church we now see today. This brings us back to those beginnings of the godly influence that built Noah's righteous heritage. Think this through with me for just a moment. When Seth was born, Genesis chapter 5 verse 3 explains that Adam did not raise him according to righteousness. Instead, Instead of teaching Seth to walk in the righteous ways of the Lord, Adam wanted him to be civilized in worldly ways. The scriptures tell us that he raised Seth to be just like himself, a son of his own likeness, a son in the image of fallen man, not in the image of God. But Genesis chapter 4 verses 25 through 26 explain that as Seth grew up and matured over the course of his life, he became increasingly aware of sin and began to reject the ways of his father Adam. When Seth had his first son, named Enosh, he decided not to raise him in the worldly ways that his own father had raised him. Instead, Seth began to separate himself and his son from the image and likeness of his father Adam by calling upon the name of the Lord. In other words, Seth dedicated and conformed his life to God, and he trained up Enosh to do the same thing. Seth trained up his child in the way he should go, and Enosh never departed from that. Enosh was literally the first fruit to confirm God's promise to us in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6, a promise that still applies to our children, our grandchildren, and our great-grandchildren today. Hallelujah! Amen? From that point forward, after the birth of Enosh, each of the godly men listed in Seth's bloodline taught their sons to walk in the ways of their forefather Seth. 
This built up a tradition of faithfulness to God in the days leading up to the flood that was continually passed on from father to son, all the way down the line to Noah. And after the flood, Noah continued this same tradition, and it was passed down all the way to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and ultimately all the way down the line to Jesus himself. Hallelujah! Thank you, Lord! As the rest of the human race slid into devastating wickedness leading up to the flood, this tradition, tradition of faithfulness ensured that God would find at least one righteous man in each generation. One righteous man who would know the Lord and who would decide to be conformed to his image, his likeness, and his righteousness. In those last days just before the flood, Noah was literally the only person left on the planet who still followed this tradition, a tradition that is important to get our minds around because Jesus applies it directly to our world today. We know this by what we see him doing in the New Testament. Think about it. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 39 through 45, Jesus speaks to us before he went to the cross, speaking as the Son of Man filled with the Holy Spirit. And he describes the generation we live in today as being evil, adulterous, and consumed with the unclean spirits of demons. Then, in Revelation chapter 5, verse 6, we see Jesus after he went to the cross, standing before us as the Holy Lamb of God, standing in authority in the throne room of heaven. And what's he doing? Just as he did before the flood, when he searched the earth for anyone left who was righteous, Jesus is now sending forth his Holy Spirit into all the earth during these last days to find anyone who is righteous in our generation. Just as he did in those last days before the flood, when he walked with Noah, God now seeks to find anyone who knows the Lord and is conformed to his image, his likeness, and his righteousness. Those that he finds are the believers who will be raptured out of this world at any moment, just before the tribulation begins. Hallelujah! Amen? Continuing down the line in Genesis chapter 5, verse 6 tells us that Seth was 105 years old when Enosh was born. Enosh lived to be 905 years old before he died in Genesis chapter 5, verse 11. Next, we continue following this same pattern down the line to Canaan, to Mahalil, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and all the way through to Noah at the end of Genesis chapter 5. This takes us all the way up to the flood. Now when we study the layout of this genealogy closely, we discover some very important historical facts that really stand out from this timeline. One of the most significant of these is how this timeline identifies a relatively short age for planet Earth, as opposed to the billions of years proposed by modern science. This means the genealogy of Noah establishes the biblical model of a young earth. Here's how it works. In the scriptures, year one begins in Genesis chapter one with the first five days that God created. But more specifically, Genesis chapter one verse five 
teaches us that each one of these days was a 24-hour period of time, not the billions of years that many scientists claim that it took for everything to be created from their Big Bang Theory. Check this out. Notice how the term day is used in Genesis chapter 1 verse 5 twice. And both times this word is translated from the ancient Hebrew term yom, which references a 24-hour division of time that is regulated from the darkness of night to the light of day. This means God created and developed both the universe and planet Earth in five 24-hour days before he created Adam on the sixth day. Our planet was literally five days old when man was created by God in his own image. In other words, the world had only existed for 120 hours when God created the first human being. Genesis chapter 1, John chapter 1 verses 1 through 3, and Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 all provide very deep insights into how fascinating those first 120 hours truly are. We're not going into that sort of depth here, but think about this. During those first 120 hours, God first created water. Then he created light. And check this out. He then divided the light from the darkness to establish the first day. Say what? Try to get your mind around that, amen? This not only tells us that water is older than light, it also tells us that light existed before the sun. Light is older than the sun because the sun wasn't created until the fourth day. That'll make your head explode. Amen? Not only that, God created grass and trees on the third day, but he didn't fill the universe with the sun, the moon, and the stars until the fourth day which means grass and trees are older than the sun, the moon, and the stars. Let all of that sink in for a moment, and it will absolutely blow you away. Amen? That's not all. During the next 24 hours, the first human being was created, which means the first person in Noah's genealogy inhabited this world when it was only 144 hours old. This timing is not by chance, because that number 144 prophetically connects Noah's genealogy to the fast-approaching days of the future, when 144,000 virgin Jews in Revelation chapters 7 and 14 will spread the gospel of Jesus Christ and lead the last great revival of unsaved Jews and Gentiles across the world during the tribulation. Let's unpack this connection for a moment. A perfect virgin man, innocent of the sin that would eventually consume him, appeared at the exact moment in the beginning of time that points to the exact moment sometime in the near future when God will use 144,000 other virgin men at the end of time to lead others to salvation from the same sin that consumed that first man. And Noah is the historical connection between these two events. The precise timing of Adam points 10 generations into the future to his great-great-grandson Noah, who 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5 describes as a preacher of righteousness before the destruction of the ungodly by the flood. 
As a preacher, Noah is the prophetic shadow of the 144,000 redeemed Jews who will preach the gospel before the destruction of the ungodly by the tribulation in Revelation chapter 14, verse 6. So the precise timing of Adam in Genesis chapter 1 points to the preaching of Noah before the flood in Genesis chapters 6 and 7, which is an ancient mirror of the future preaching of the 144,000 redeemed during the tribulation in Revelation chapter 14. All of this preaching, unified through the line of Seth calling upon the name of the Lord during the generations of Noah, is the fulfillment of Romans chapter 10 verses 14 and 17, which teaches that faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God, and the word of God by preaching. Amen. And all of this takes place with meticulous precision from the beginning of time to the end that reflects the astonishing power of Jesus as the mighty Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end of all things. This godly precision is how the young earth, established by the genealogy of Noah, testifies that Jesus alone created time, that he alone regulates it, and he alone will end it. Modern science wants nothing to do with this because the supernatural precision of a young earth reveals how Jesus not only uses the sun and moon to regulate the length of each day, he also uses his seven dispensations of time, referred to in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 10, to regulate, manage, and connect all of the intricate details of each period of history, past, present, and future, from the beginning of time to the end. Most importantly, all of this sets the stage for his second coming as the Lord of Lords in Revelation chapter 19, verse 16, when a fallen world will finally see Jesus for who he really is, Jehovah Adonai, the Lord and Master over his creation. Hallelujah! Amen! This is why modern science will never recognize a young earth, because its precision and prophetic accuracy ultimately confirm the awe-inspiring power of Jesus Christ, El Shaddai, the great and mighty God, who sits on the throne of eternity in Revelation chapter 5, verses 6 and 7, at the right hand of his Father, Jehovah the Almighty. A young earth declares that there is no one like Jesus. There are none beside him, none that compare to him, for he alone is Almighty God the Son, the eternal creator of all things. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen? A young earth is unmistakable proof to those with eyes to see and ears to hear that God has highly exalted Jesus and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah to the precious Lamb of God. Praise his holy name forever. Amen. A young, a young earth is also highlighted through the timing of major events that take place inside the generations before and after the flood. These events serve as milestones that establish a close approximation to the actual age of earth. 
Here's how it works. The years listed in each generation before the flood in Genesis chapter 5 walk us through the godly line of Seth that eventually leads to the birth of Jesus. This is why the years list, listed in each generation of Noah continues after the great flood in the genealogy listed in Genesis chapter 11. The timeline before the flood begins with Adam on the sixth day and continues until the great flood happens when Noah turns 600 in Genesis chapter 7 verse 11. Assuming Adam was created in year one of history, this timeline establishes the first 1,656 years of the earth, from the creation of Adam all the way to the flood. We know this by the timing of one of the greatest milestones to happen before the flood, the birth of Methuselah that began the eighth generation after Adam. The birth of Methuselah is a milestone that happened when Adam was 687 years old. Since Adam was created in year one of history, this means the earth was 687 years old when Methuselah was born. Methuselah lived to be 969 years old, the oldest human being ever recorded. He died the same year that Noah was 600 years old, the very same year that the flood happened. If the earth was already 687 years old when Methuselah was born, and he lived another 969 years before the flood happened, that means the flood happened 1,656 years after the creation of Adam. This establishes that the world was 1,656 years old when the flood occurred. If Noah was already 600 years old when the flood took place and the world was 1,656 years old when the flood occurred, that means Noah was born when the earth was 1,056 years old. In other words, if Adam was created in year one, then Noah was born in year 1056 or 1,056 years after Adam. Now, by carrying this history forward to the genealogy of Noah listed in Genesis chapter 11, we're able to estimate the age of the earth through each generation after the flood, all the way from Noah to the birth of Abraham. Check this out. Genesis chapter 11 verse 10 explains that Shem was 100 years old when his son Arphaxad was born two years after the flood, when it happened when the world was 1,656 years old. This means Arphaxad was born when the earth was 1,658 years old. This would be the year 1658, or 1,658 years after the creation of Adam. Being 100 years old when his son was born means that Shem himself was born when the earth was 1,000 558 years old. This would be year 1558, or 1,558 years after Adam was created. After this, verse 11 explains that Shem lived another 500 years after Arphaxad was born. He had other unnamed sons and daughters, and then he died. From this point, Starting with the birth of Selah in verse 12 
and following the same pattern of births, ages, and deaths for each generation down through Genesis chapter 11, we can literally trace how old the earth was in each generation after the flood, from Shem, who was born in the year 1558, all the way down to the birth of Abraham in Genesis chapter 11, verse 26, who was born in the year 1948, or 1,948 years after Adam was created. The world was 1,948 years old when Abraham was born 292 years after the flood happened. Again, it's not by chance that Israel again became a nation in 1948. Amen? Now watch this. The New Testament opens in Matthew chapter 1 by picking up this same genealogy at Abraham 292 years after the flood and carrying it all the way through to the birth of Jesus. Matthew chapter 1 verses 1 through 17 lists 42 generations of the ancestors of Jesus. From the beginning of Abraham, beginning at Abraham, and going down through the time of King David, the period of the Babylonian exile, all the way up to the birth of Jesus himself. Following a chronological index of years and times provided by the Old Testament events that took place during these generations, we find that the genealogy from the birth of Abraham up to the birth of Jesus spans approximately 2,026 years. Now, we're currently living in the year of our Lord, 2023, which means Jesus lived sometime around 2,023 years ago. So from this point, we can estimate just how young the earth really is. If we take the 1,948 years between Adam to Abraham, then add the 2,026 years between Abraham to Jesus, then add the 2,023 years from Jesus to now, we get a total of 5,997 years. That's it. The scriptures mathematically estimate the age of our young, young world to be 5,997 years old. This scriptural science stands in staggering variance to modern science, which routinely asserts that the earth is billions of years old. This also destroys the ridiculous basis for Darwin's theory of the evolution of man. Amen? Thank you, Lord, for your word, for your word is absolute truth, and all of your promises are yes and amen. Hallelujah. From this point, a whole new dimension to the days of Noah is opened by simply adding or subtracting the number of years between generations provided by the genealogies to identify the exact year that someone was born or a certain event happened. Here's how it works. For a calendar, Assume that the year Jesus was born is year zero. This means everything that takes place before his birth is before Christ, or B.C. Since Abraham was born 2,026 years before Jesus, this means he was born in 2026 B.C. By adding the 2,026 years between Abraham to Jesus to the 1,948 years between Adam to Abraham, we find that God created the world and Adam in 3974 B.C. See, see how simple this is? Let's continue. Subtracting the 1,056 years between Adam to Noah 
from 3974 BC shows us that Noah was born in 2918 BC. Subtracting the 1,656 years between Adam to the flood from the creation in 3974 BC shows us that the flood happened in 2318 BC. We can also double check this because the scriptures tell us that Noah was 600 years old when the flood happened. So if Noah was born in 2918 BC, then subtracting 600 years from that would be 2318 BC. Check and check. Noah lived 950 years. So subtracting 950 from 2918 BC means that he died in 1968 BC. That was 58 years after Abraham was born. This means Abraham, who Romans chapter 4 verse 16 identifies as the father of our faith in Jesus, actually knew and talked with Noah. Can you imagine the stories and personal life experiences that Noah passed down to Abraham? This is something we don't typically think about because Noah clearly played a key role in building the faith of Abraham. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11 verses 7 through 10 explains that by faith Noah, being warned of God of things not yet seen, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. And then, right after Noah comes Abraham. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing where he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. All of this shows us how the strong, deep faith displayed by Abraham after the flood, faith that eventually led to the creation of the nation of Israel in 1948, that faith was passed down to him by none other than Noah, because Joshua chapter 24 verse 2 clearly states that Abraham's father, Terah, served other gods rather than Jehovah. We're going to get into that a little bit deeper in another study. Now think about this. We now know that the flood took place in 2318 BC. By tracing the scriptural math of Noah's genealogy down to Peleg, we learn that God came down to the Tower of Babel, divided the earth into continents, and scattered the human race in 2217 BC. That means these monumentally disruptive events took place only 101 years after the flood. It only took a century after the flood for the human race to succumb to a resurrection of witchcraft and the occult that resulted in the rise of Nimrod. Only 101 years separated the devastation of all life by the flood from the disruption of all life by separation into continents. And all of this massive disruption happened in less than two centuries, 191 years to be exact, before Abraham was born. This makes me pause to consider how quickly witchcraft and the occult are now permeating our world with wildly erratic insanity in these last days. I can hear Jesus speaking to us from Matthew chapter 24, verse 33, about all of this craziness being another sign that the rapture can happen at any moment. Our Lord says, 
When you see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Amen. Hallelujah. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Speaking of the rapture, when we follow Noah's genealogy back to Enoch, we find that he was born 622 years after the creation of Adam, which means he was born in the year 3352 BC. Enoch vanished into thin air when he was 365 years old, which means the first rapture in Genesis chapter 5 verse 24 took place in the year 2987 BC. 57 years after Adam died. The first rapture took place only 57 years after the first human being ever created died. When Enoch vanished in the rapture, five generations of his godly ancestors were still alive, including the fifth human who ever lived, his great-great-grandfather Seth. Notice how the number five is all over the rapture of Enoch. This is not by chance, because the number five is the scriptural symbol of grace, God's unmerited favor. Inside the godly line of Seth, five symbolizes the goodness of God to those who remained faithful during the generational saga of Noah. Before the flood, five faithful generations, including the fifth person who fathered the godly line of faith, signify how the rapture of Enoch symbolizes the grace of Almighty God, his unmerited favor and goodness toward believers who faithfully weather an evil storm of wickedness that is flooding their world. And because Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8 reminds us that Almighty God the Son, Jesus Christ, is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that means his same unmerited favor and goodness, symbolized by the rapture of Enoch, now applies to all believers who are faithfully weathering the evil storm of wickedness that is flooding our world right now. Hallelujah! Just as God took Enoch out of a troubled world that was headed for destruction, his rapture represents God's promise to take us out of this troubled world that is also headed for destruction. Praise the Lord! Amen? Come quickly, Lord Jesus! Amen! This shows how the generational five inside the saga of Noah prophetically links the pre-flood rapture of Enoch to God's promise of a pre-tribulation rapture of believers in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, which says that God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. The rapture of Enoch represents the rapture of the true church the faithful body of believers who remain obedient to Jesus Christ no matter what happens around them. Since Noah was born 69 years after Enoch was raptured, Noah represents the 144,000 redeemed Jews who will be sealed and protected to preach the gospel during the tribulation. Hallelujah. Amen. Something else that stands out during the days of Noah are the extremely long lifespans of people in those generations, both before and after the flood. For example, we see in Genesis chapter 5 that no one lived less than 365 years before the flood. In fact, Methuselah lived a mind-boggling 969 years. That is absolutely astounding. 
These enormously long lifespans equate to a population explosion. We're talking about a period of time before the flood where the world would have been populated very quickly and very heavily. This population explosion before the flood is described at the beginning of Genesis chapter 6 verse 1 by the phrase, when men began to multiply. In the ancient Hebrew, this phrase, when men began to multiply, doesn't just refer to an increase in the number of human beings that were alive over a period of time. It literally means they were accumulating like drops of rain. Picture that in your mind and you'll begin to grasp the enormity of this growth in the population of mankind. Now think this through with me for a moment. Today it's not unusual for a typical couple to be married 20 years and have four to five children. Now let's apply this example to Adam who lived to be 930 years old. Because his lifespan was so extremely long, if Adam saw only half of the children grow up that he could have fathered, and if only half of those grown children got married, and if only half of those who got married had his grandchildren, then even at these conservative rates, Adam would still have seen more than one million of his own descendants. One million. Can you imagine attending that family reunion? Well, guess what? Spoiler alert. When we get raptured, our reunion with the family of God will be even bigger than that. Hallelujah. Amen. Using these conservative calculations with various lifespans for each generation leading up to the flood, we could reasonably estimate that by the time of the flood, there could have been seven to eight billion people living on the earth before the devastation happened. That immediately connects us back to our world today, where we currently have 7.9 billion people living on the planet, according to the world population clock of the U.S. Census Bureau as I'm making this video. Could that be another sign that the rapture may happen at any moment? Just a thought. Even after the flood, Genesis chapter 25, verses 7 through 8, state that Abraham lived to be 175 years old. How in the world was it possible for people to live this long? And why didn't this continue after the flood? The generations of Noah show us how, immediately following the fall of Adam and Eve in the garden, their children, and later on people in general before the flood, could live much longer because the degenerative effects of sin's curse on the DNA of the human gene pool had not yet had enough time to accumulate a high degree of corruption. You've, you recall from our, some of our other studies that we learned in Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, how the DNA code defines all of our genetic conditions, including the length of our life. Because Adam was created directly by God himself, his entire gene pool was crystal pure without corruption of any sort. Adam was originally intended to live for eternity, and God designed his DNA code to meet that function. Eve came out of the rib of Adam, so she shared this same perfect gene pool and was also designed to live eternally. But when they fell in Genesis chapter 3, each of their gene pools was immediately corrupted by the insertion of death into their DNA codes to interrupt their eternal life. 
Death was the first impurity inserted into our DNA code when man fell, instantly followed by the loss of innocence. When Adam and Eve mated and gave birth to Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4, these two impure DNA codes combined to form a corrupted gene pool that in no way resembled the original gene pool that Adam had when God created him. This new gene pool had death and the loss of innocence leached into its DNA code so that it immediately began to shorten the length of life that had originally been coded into man. From that point forward, throughout every generation, as corrupted gene pools mated to give birth to the next generation, they multiplied the impurity inside the DNA code and shortened the life of the next generation being born. Psalm 90 verses 9, 10, and 12 explain that God mercifully set a limit on the impact of this inherent DNA corruption so that it cut the typical life of a person down to 70 to 80 years old. That limited lifespan is a vapor of existence compared to the original immortality that was intended for mankind before he fell. And this reduction of human age is exactly what we see down through history. In the 11 generations starting from the original pure DNA of Adam down to the lines of Shem, Ham, and Japheth just before the Great Flood, this multiplication effect had already shortened the lives of people by almost 200 years by the time Lamech lived. After the Flood, the lives of people got much shorter. By the time Abraham died in Genesis chapter 25 verses 7 and 8, 292 years after the flood, he only lived to be 175 years old, 755 years less than Adam. And by the time King David died in 1 Kings chapter 2 verse 10, 930 years after Abraham, he only lived to be 70 years old, the same 70 to 80 year range that continues to be the typical lifespan of most people up to this day just as the scriptures stated it would be. There was also an ecological factor in the long lives of those people in the pre-flood world. Genesis chapter 1 verses 6 through 7 explains how people lived inside a sort of water vapor canopy that surrounded the earth and created a type of greenhouse environment that was very different from the one we live in today. Some Christian scientific scholars estimate that this water vapor canopy may have more than doubled the atmospheric pressure on Earth, creating a much purer climate. This resulted in healthier soil and cleaner physical, chemical, and biological elements that acted upon and nurtured the long lives of people before the flood. The world before the flood was a sterling conservatory of high-efficiency atmosphere where living things such as plants, trees, bushes, and shrubs would have naturally grown to be much larger than what we see today. This partially explains, to some extent, the existence of the dinosaurs and the giants. However, there's a lot more there that we'll examine in depth later on in this series when we cover the giants in another study. Remember that it had never rained prior to the flood. 
This water vapor canopy was a great deep reservoir that God broke open in Genesis chapter 7, verse 11, to rain the flood down on the earth and destroy it. So when the great flood happened, it not only destroyed all life on the planet, it also altered and changed the environment for any future life on the planet, which explains the much shorter lifespans of people after the flood that we're familiar with today. Well, we've covered a lot here, so let's close. Next time, we're going to continue our return to the days of Noah by examining the origins of witchcraft, the ancient mysteries, and their demonic impact on culture and society. And we're going to take a closer look at some very strange things that were taking place during the days of Noah leading up to the flood. You don't want to miss it. Till then, let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, we lift up this special history lesson to you as a sacrifice of praise. We thank you, Holy Spirit of God, for teaching us about the days of Noah and revealing insights into how they apply to our lives today. Lord, we ask you in the name of Jesus to give us eyes to see and ears to hear what your Spirit is saying, for the time is at hand. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen.